Well, the special session is finally over, and thanks to all of the hard work and vigilance of our fellow conservatives across the state, we held the line and, at least for now, your liberties have been secured. But don't think for a moment that we won't see more shenanigans once the next session begins. The preservation of liberty requires eternal vigilance. Gary also shines a light on more out-of-control federal judges interfering with legislation passed to protect you and your children. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Why are you? I feel like you're bringing in hard ones. This isn't. I know this is not Jonas Brothers, but it feels like another Jonas Brothers moment. Like, how am I supposed to know this? I think this group would be probably offended if if they knew that you were referring them to Jonas Brothers. <laughs> Hang on a second. Listen to the chorus, though. Oh, sorry. Pre-chorus first. <laughs> I have so I have never heard this song. Well, let's do the chorus and I'll tell you who it is, but listen to the words. This is not um like old school muse or anything like that, is it? No. Okay, Cuz it does kind of sort of kind of little bit. All right. So it's not as not as hard rock as muse, but it's Vocals so, w- will song. you feel really bad if you know that for two weeks in a row I used the same group and you couldn't get it? Is it ELO again? <laughs> yes. You know, I was I was gonna say this is this is probably ELO again, but I kind of did that on purpose. Okay, well there you go. Um, this was 1986. It was actually the last record that ELO, in its original constitution, <laughs> um, recorded. But I love that song because the chorus is "Calling America can't get a message through." Calling America, that's what she said to do. Calling America, uh, that's where she has to be. Calling America, she left a number for me. And whenever I listen to that song, I get a sense of, that's what the world's been doing for years, saying, where the heck is America, right? They used to be advancing the cause of liberty. They used to be defending the cause of liberty. And yet that has changed. I think we talked about it, Gary, once on this program. I've had members of uh, government agencies tell me that the U.S. policy, so you have countries like Uganda and other countries who try to get U.S. support for being Christian, saying, look, we're, we, we have a, a desire to, to live according to the created order. And in the old days, America used to come and rescue those countries, right, and come in and, and try to help them implement new government that is based upon the created order. Well, now America's official policy is that—and this is a quote— that Christianity is not compatible with the American system. Well, that's that's how I'm feeling pretty much today, based on some things we'll talk about later. Is, but it's 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 certainly not compatible with the American system we have today, with yeah. with the folks currently purporting to run the American system. Yeah, um, and that, our, our faith is incompatible. Yeah, and it's it's not just become that way, but that as the the expressed intention, the expressed worldview of our governing authorities is anti-Christian. Yep. Whereas in the old days, if you were a nation that, that 
based your moral and constitutional order upon biblical principles, you would be deemed an ally. Now all they want to do is shove LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ down your throats. Did you see, by the way, that um, great speech by Tucker Carlson last week to Hungary? No. Uh, I know he interviewed, yes. I saw the—I got the tweet, but I never—I haven't watched it. Yeah, it's 25-minute speech, and it's— it's depressing and exciting at the same time. It's depressing because he had to make the speech, but he was going to Hungary and calling out the American ambassador to Hungary, who instead of going and acting as an ambassador... Did you know Tucker Carlson was the son of an ambassador? Did not know that. I, I didn't know that until this speech. But he explains, he says, he knows uniquely, um, perhaps more than many people do, the role of an ambassador. And he was so disappointed and he apologized. Remember when, when anti-American leaders used to go to other countries and apologize for America for the wrong reasons, like Barack Obama would apologize to Muslim countries that America is free and is based upon Christian order. Well, Tucker Carlson actually went and apologized to the Hungarian people because the ambassador to Hungary has been pushing LGBTQ progressive agenda, um, which is an insult to their sovereignty. Um, fascinating listen, and I highly recommend it to anybody if you want to get a Tucker Carlson speaks so well about American principles and kind of the um, the foundations of what we used to be. I saw something about the potential that Tucker Carlson may interview Vladimir Putin. Did you mm. see that? Mm-hmm. Now, I would be incredibly interested in that interview. Wouldn't that? And, and in the old days, that's what all the media used to do. Right. They used to go and interview tyrants and people say why are you giving them a fool now tucker carlson wants to interview putin not to support him but to actually get his point get of view. his point of view across yeah. and let people decide whether it's um you know legitimate or ridiculous which i mean you when i was growing up you used to see mikhail gorbachev on the news mm-hmm. all the time right they give they give him more more time than they gave ronald reagan but but we don't get that anymore which is interesting you yeah. know it's it's almost like being in a in a country where your media is walled mm-hmm. off from state controlled media yeah that's what it feels like because yep. you're not because as a as an american we're not able to make a real judgment we only really know about russia and putin based on what our state is willing to tell, tell us, us about russia yep. and putin's intentions yep. not and i'm not again not saying that those intentions are good and we should support them. I'm simply saying we don't get the benefit of hearing those things ourselves. Yep. And I think— And making those decisions on our own. That's right. Um, Gary, I know you don't want to spend much time on this, so I'll just ask you for our audience. <clears throat> Can you tell us kind of the sense that I got from your email earlier this week when the special session ended was it was kind of muted trombones, like wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Well, and thankfully so. Yeah. I By mean, the way, and I told you this privately, I'll tell you again, you and a couple of other, other people should be not proud in a gay rights kind of pride, right? But proud of the work that you did to prevent other things from happening. Because I, I am telling you that I believe a lot worse would have happened had you not been out there shouting every day saying, they're going to do this. Because now they're, they're kind of like a criminal who was about to commit a crime and then the police walk the beat and they say, oh, yeah, well, we weren't going to rob that store anyway. Um, so yeah. I think all of the efforts of the Tennessee Stand membership and all the conservatives, liberty leaders on the ground, you owe. Um, we are grateful to God for your efforts in um, beating that back to a pulp. 
Yeah, well, thank you, and I and I I'll, I will take some credit for that. Uh, but as well as so many conservative groups across the state, and absolutely the efforts of uh, the Tennessee Farms Association and everyone that chose to engage and do what we're supposed to do: hold our legislators accountable. And it's interesting you say that because, and I, you know, can I add one more thing? I forgot. Before? Yeah, we also need to give credit to men like Andy Roth. Um, who gave great air support for yes, us. Yes, absolutely. Daniel Horowitz. Daniel Horowitz. Yeah, yeah, so we thank them as well. Agreed. Yeah, some some national air cover there. You know, look, there's a there's a little uh, little rhino pretend grassroots group out there, you know, um, that, that would prefer to congratulate the legislature in such a way as shaming conservatives saying, you see, they weren't going to do anything. Mm-hmm. These are, look how good they are. These are our nice conservative legislators. You guys were just screaming about nothing. But the point is that it was the screaming. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that made them do nothing. It's like, it's like, no, you see, you shouldn't have pushed back on your legislators because they never intended to harm you. Um, well, the the governor certainly called them into session to do so. Yep. There was this whole conversation that there was never an, an intention to pass a red flag law. And while that may be true in the minds of some of our legislators, I, I, there's no denying that. In the governor's proclamation of the 18 points, I believe it was number 12, was the emergency order of protection. It was in the governor's call. Yep. How can you see that in an official proclamation from our governor and then as a conservative opt not to advocate against that potential action? Right. We we must advocate against those actions. So, yep. you know, all in all, I believe that advocacy was effective. I believe the voices of so many Tennesseans blowing up, literally blowing mm-hmm. up the emails and phones of their legislators basically gave the effect of a, of a big nothing burger. We had a total of four bills that passed this general session, one of which was simply the appropriations bill, the, the funding of what they passed. So the three bills essentially are, you know, uh, no, no sales tax on gun safes, fine. A bill that requires uh, an annual report for human trafficking, great. And um, gosh, I always, every time I go to list these, I forget the third one. Oh, um, codifying the governor's executive order 100, which simply changes. There was a requirement for the court to report uh, mental health adjudications, something like that to the TBI within 30 days. This changes it to 72 hours. Um, But that's it. That's, that's all that passed. Thankfully we did not get into the very convoluted and controversial realm of mental health Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, further trying juveniles as adults or all these various things, uh, well, including uh, more DNA collection, (laughs) Uh, not on convicted criminals. Exactly. Not even under warrant. Right. So, um, you know, all of those things uh, we avoided. And so that that's in my book. That's a big win. Yeah. And and a and massive egg on the on the governor's face, mm-hmm. and rightly so, yeah. for even attempting to threaten our Second Amendment rights here in Tennessee. But make no mistake, um, and I saw John Harris post this, you know, a couple of days ago. Th- this this is clearly this is not the end. This is not the end. Yeah. Some of these bills, including, I would assume, an emergency protection order bill, will most likely come back up. In 2024, mm-hmm. in general session. So, you know, it's again, this is always a work of eternal vigilance. Yep. But um, all in all, 
as I reported in my email earlier, we escaped mostly unscathed. <laughs> and I think that's a good. Good. Thing. Well, congratulations. And thanks to everyone who called and shined a light on the ground. So unfortunately, though, we've got uh, the darkness doesn't just creep. It kind of comes like a, a tidal wave across the state of Tennessee. So, Gary, what can you tell us is happening in Blunt County? Yeah, it's kind of a it's sort of a combination of Blunt and Sevier County, but but the the legal action is is Blunt County specifically. And you know, this has to do with something that I think was a success in the legislature this past session, which was passing a law called the Adult Entertainment Act that restricts and it, and again, the law says nothing about drag performances specifically. It simply would prevent any kind of display of a sexually oriented, actually what the law calls of, of a purient interest, mm-hmm. of a sexual nature. I remember that word in law school, purient. <laughs> purient interest. Um, it's actually a weird word because it's not P-U-R, P- it's P-R-U, P-R-U so yeah. it's like prurient. Yes, you, you could just imagine a bunch of first-year law students in <laughs> first-year criminal law trying to say that word, and our law professor just said, nope, it's purient. But but in the the... Outcome, though, in terms of what we're facing culturally right now would be it would prevent a a sexualized drag performance in front of minors. And that that's an seems like a good idea. Right. And that's an incredibly important distinction. We're not saying no one should have drag shows, though. Although I I I don't think they should. They should not. However, First Amendment protects those rights. But what we are saying, we've we have protected minors from obscenities for a long time in this country. Mm-hmm. And so the law simply forbids these activities from happening in a, a public space or any space um, where minors are present. So they, they need to be ticketed. They need to be in an enclosed area, not in a public park, and they need to be 18 and up. That's that's the law. Of course, that law was uh, enjoined in Shelby County a few months ago. Well, these events are coming back up again. They're not going to stop. Mm-hmm. That this is this is a war we are in, and this agenda against our children is not going away simply because we passed a law. Mm-hmm. It now requires us to enforce the law. It, it, even beyond that, in light of these court decisions we're talking about now, it requires courage. Yep, it's gonna. It, it might even require a little something called nullification. It, it might require some some really drastic measures where the legislature and the governor is going to have to go to war against the federal mm-hmm. government because these federal judges now have deemed themselves to have a a superior authority over the elected body that is given the constitutional mm-hmm. authority in our state to pass laws yep. and and to protect the rights of parents of the interests of children and all of the above so anyway, thankfully, we have a, di- a district attorney, his name is Ryan Desmond, in Blunt County, this week who issued a public letter letting the, uh, the organization, I believe, is called Blunt Pride, and he simply let them know that if the law is broken, he's going to enforce it. He's, I will enforce the law. Like, great, Shelby County can't enforce the law, but in Blunt County we can, and FYI, I will. Well, in an immediate fashion, at 2.30 in the morning, the ACLU filed a lawsuit, and two thirty in the morning. Yes, yes. 
And and two days later, now has this, anyone on our side ever filed a lawsuit at two thirty in the morning? Exactly. Well, has anyone on ever on our side ever gotten a protection of their liberty in two business days? Unbelievable! It's incredible how quickly they act against us. When you when it comes to abortion, back in the you know Planned Parenthood days mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff, when it anything regarding the taking of rights, or when it comes to life, when it comes to our children, it, it, they are they act in expedient fashion. We when we filed, I mean, back in 2020, whenever we were filing lawsuits to protect people from getting fired and being mandated the shot, we couldn't get a date in court. Mm-hmm. We would file a temporary restraining order. And go like weeks. Yep. <laughs> Judges didn't even care. And and eventually our case against the governor went over a year. It the docket, they pushed the docket back so long. So that they could claim mootness. That right? once the emergency order expired, they just rendered it moot. Mm-hmm. We never got our day in court to ask the judge the constitutional question of whether or not what the governor was doing in terms of lockdowns and all these things was constitutional. Still to this day. Never got our day in court to ask that question. But if you're going to ask a judge to allow immorality to continue, the judge responds in two days, baby. Two days. And not only responds, responds favorably. Favorably to them. So this federal district judge, Ronnie Greer, a former uh, assistant to Governor Lamar Alexander, by the way, in the 80s. Really? Yeah. Also uh, appointed, I believe, in 2003 by George W. Bush Mm. and former Republican Tennessee state uh, representative in our legislature. Ronnie Greer Hmm. blocked the law uh, deeming that these people apparently have a First Amendment right to abuse our children. And so what was his basis for blocking uh, legislation that was passed with the will of the people? What I wanted to read is it's a it's a 16 page uh, deal, but there's this little paragraph, which is a is a, a wait. He wrote 16 pages in two days. 16, or he had a clerk. Yeah, somebody. Jeez. 16 page uh, motion or memorandum on his. Seems to motion. me like that memo was written beforehand, waiting for the lawsuit to happen. Could be. I'm just could be Kevin. Just surmising here. It's a lot of research to do in in yeah. two days, isn't it? Well, one of, of course, everything is predicated on the First Amendment. Mm. But I found this statement incredibly interesting. And, and that's why, before we started the podcast, I was asking you, how do you pronounce this word, scienter, which I had never heard of before. But basically, hey, producer, put that, that, because um, I want to, yeah, I want to read the definition of that word. Spelled like important. science within, with a T, right? S C I E N T E R. Kevin, can you read that? Yep. A legal term that refers to a culpable state of mind. In other words, scienter is a defendant's knowledge that an act or conduct is wrongful and intent to act despite this knowledge. Scienter is often an element of liability, including in most cases involving assertions of fraud. The the word scienter basically is is determining whether or not you are aware, aware. Mm-hmm. that you are committing a crime. All right. So with that in mind, I want to read this paragraph that he and I don't know what the court case is, but apparently this came out of a 2023 First Amendment decision from the Supreme Court. And he's using this as his First Amendment justification. And here goes. The First Amendment demands proof of a defendant's mindset to make out an obscenity case. Obscenity is obscenity. 
whatever the purveyor's mental state. But we have repeatedly recognized that punishment depends on a vital element of scienter, often described as the defendant's awareness of the character and nature of the obscene speech. The rationale should by now be familiar. Yes, obscene speech and writings are not protected, but punishing obscene speech without regard to scienter would have the collateral effect of inhibiting protected expression. Given the ambiguities inherent in the definition of obscenity, the First Amendment requires proof of scienter to avoid the hazard of self-censorship. Did he mention at all mens rea in that 16-page? I, I, I believe he did, Which is, actually. in criminal law, the intention or knowledge of wrongdoing that, that constitutes part of a crime. So you have to know you're committed a crime. In fact, it's one of the defenses that... Trump and the 18 or 19 other co-defendants in those Georgia indictments are using because they were defending, uh, in fact, they were acting according to what they believed are statutory provisions and legal provisions to challenge what they had good faith belief to believe, believe were irregularities in the election. So they could they didn't have the mind of a criminal. They didn't think or, or intend to be committing a crime. So uh, obviously that's troubling. But you see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it a, a narrower and narrower and more difficult statute to enforce because now you can't just enforce based on the act. You have to enforce based on the act and whether the people committing it intended to do what they thought was wrong. So how did, how did he conclude that, though? Did he, did he actually go so far as to say these individuals did not have knowledge or did he say it's possible they might not have knowledge? That's right. I mean, what, what he's saying is that the... Adult Entertainment Act in Tennessee would potentially punish someone for obscene speech by which they may not understand at that moment that their speech they're being punished for is actually obscene. But speech being defined broadly as acts too, right? Well, yes. Dancing and, and— That's right. And while—and he even mentions, you know, kind of the, the Miller test, right? While, while these obscenities— May may be considered obscene by the community according to, to sort of set community standards. Even still, the perpetrator, so to speak, that's being punished by the AEA may not recognize that what they're doing is obscene. I mean, it, it to some degree it makes me think of this idea we're in now in 2023 where there's no truth, where mm-hmm. there's like my truth right. and your truth. Exactly, and that's literally Just my how opinion I re- versus your opinion. That's, that's right. all it means. And how do you? And so if that's where we are now, how do you ever enforce that? How do you punish that? And I, and I think well, I, be, <laughs> you know what it is. If what you do say or think is consistent with the narrative of the left and the leading political class, then it's protected and it's quote unquote true. But if what you think opposes the political class and the favored classes, then, of course, it's wrong. And, and I also find, well, that's, that's 100% right, and which, which actually I've made a post today, and I think we are, we are absolutely living in the day today where good is evil and evil is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just, that is where we are. That's what the scriptures tell us, right? And, when and, men will call evil things good and good things evil, and they'll boast about it. Right. I also find it interesting that this judge uses the issue of scienter that they may not know. I would think that District Attorney uh, Ryan Desmond actually took care of that issue. I mean, he issued a letter letting them know, hey, just as you prepare for this weekend, just be aware. That this is a crime. That some of the things you may 
be ready to engage in are, are going to break the law. That's a so really I'm good just, point. Yeah. So I'm letting you know, right? So how is he arguing scienter here? Because they were informed, right? That this this whole First Amendment deal that we're mm-hmm. we're we're talking about now surrounding these drag performances and our children, I think, is absolutely ridiculous. But again, this is this is what we've come to expect from our federal courts. Even though, you know, I know we've had some wins in the Supreme Court recently, but here in Tennessee, in terms of these district courts, I just I see this stuff over and over and over again with the with the mandates, with the lawsuits we even when we file to protect nursing students, you know, from the vaccine mandates right. and uh, employees, and now you know the blocking of a duly passed law by our legislature to protect children from obscenities. It's these federal judges in Tennessee continue. They they are. They are against the people of the state of Tennessee. There's that's the way I look at it. They are, look. I'm just somebody might come arrest me, but I, I literally look at the federal bench in the state of Tennessee mm-hmm. right now as an enemy of the state. Yeah, and and you know why they're doing that. This this is the tool that they have to use, and it's always been the playbook of the left, not only to use the courts, but especially to use the courts where you don't have the legislature now. We've talked a lot about on this program how our supermajority legislature is not exactly, well, it's not even close to being conservative, but vis-a-vis the left, they still carry more conservative principles. I'm saying that very broadly. And so the left knows that they can't work through legislation, right? They don't have enough people to be able to have a quorum, right? We can have a quorum without them. Um, so they always are going to resort to the courts to try to legislate their own morality over the morality that the people have chosen to exercise through their legislative repre- their representatives. And as you said, Gary, early, I think this is, is it warrants repeating. We must understand that we're in a war they, just because we pass legislation, just because we um, have agreement among the people doesn't mean that they're going to say, oh, okay, I guess we can't have drag shows here. Yeah, you they're win. showing you exactly, okay, we're going to go to war against you. So we must equip ourselves and, and take that same war footing because it's going to be a battle. And we have to be as as diligent. We have to be as persistent. We have to be as unafraid of the battle as they are because they're going scorched earth. And yep. we have to defend and protect our sovereignty, our liberty, the created order. And for me, just a quick, you know, what I would do if I were governor. Number one, I wouldn't have called a special session to, to attempt to take away guns. But number two, I would be calling a special session right now to make every every effort we could yep. legislatively to nullify these actions, these federal mm-hmm. judges, and demand that law enforcement and DA across the state enforce, enforce this law. It. Yep. That's what I would do. Yep. But— do you think we're going to get that from mm, Governor Billy? Of course Kevin? not, Gary. <laughs> I know there's a rhetorical question, but I felt I had to answer it. You know, it's interesting you use the word scienter uh, today because I have a word that kind of sounds similar to that. I'm going to ask you. This isn't just like name the song, but this is a vo- vocabulary test. Oh, God. Do you, but it's related. <laughs> Do you know what cyanosis is? No. Never heard that. So cyano- my wife knows it because she's a nurse. Um, but you will see it, cyanosis, uh, like one of our daughters um, came through the birth canal so fast that the amniotic fluid was not squeezed out, so she came out blue. She was kind of cyanotic. Mm. When you don't have sufficient oxygen, your body is blue instead of pink or red because you don't have oxygen. And I, 
I think, you know, we've made this case and we continue, and I think we need to make it even louder. What we're doing and what we're fighting in Tennessee is not just a state issue. Yes, the the specifics or the particulars pertain to Tennessee legislation, and the people arguing it are Tennesseans. But if we don't protect and defend liberty in Tennessee, being a red state, it's going to spill into the other red states, right? They already have the blue states. So I, I was thinking about this. We're bleeding literally and figuratively. And what happens when you lose blood, you become cyanotic, right? You actually go from red to blue physically when you lose blood because blood carries the oxygen. Mm. So in the same way, figuratively, the state of Tennessee is becoming cyanotic. They, they, they're under the process of cyanosis. We're turning from red to blue because we are bleeding. And if we don't stop it here, they're going to go to each and every other state in the country, which led me then to this because um, I, there's a great quote. I know we touched on it a little bit um, when we had— Oh, Jill Savage? Jill. Yeah. We went back and forth on Ronald Reagan's A Time for Choosing— um, and I, I think it's it's really appropriate here, and I wanted to quote just the last two paragraphs of that speech because it, I'll set it up by saying if we don't preserve ordered liberty here in Tennessee, as Reagan would say, there's no place to escape. This is the last stand. He would say on earth, within the country, this is the last stand within the country. It's going to spill over. So what he said at the end of that speech, a time for choosing, this was 1964, so almost 60 years ago to a national television audience in support of Barry Goldwater, Reagan said, you and I do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools, and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where, then, is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Winston Churchill said, the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn that we're spirits, not animals. And then he said, there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which whether we like it or not spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of earth, of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. That, I think, captures the essence of the importance of this battle that we're fighting in Tennessee, and it's potential to spill over into every other red state. If we don't beat back the enemy here, and they are in our midst, then we will end up sending not only our children, but our grandchildren into a thousand years of darkness. Agreed. You, you said that several times. I mean, the fact that what, what we are doing here in Tennessee and the things we are fighting here in Tennessee do have and will have an impact in every state across the nation. Absolutely. Because if, in my opinion, um, I mean, I know there might be a contest between Tennessee and Florida, but if you can, w if the left can win here, in ten if Marxism can succeed mm -hmm. in Tennessee, it can succeed anywhere. Yep. Like, 
there there's nowhere else in the country that's safe, you know, at that point. So it's it is in, it is incumbent. We have a moral obligation absolutely to win here in Tennessee. And and in, even though Florida currently has a a better structure now to be able to take on the enemy because of what Ron DeSantis has done, what he's worked so hard to do through the legislature and through executive action from a historical standpoint and from a um, a visual, from a, if, if you're trying to send symbols, uh, the enemy attacks Tennessee harder because we've been viewed historically as the buckle of the Bible Belt, right? So this this is a symbolic process for them. If they can break and bust open the buckle in Tennessee, they will have the courage and the conviction to believe that they can do the same thing anywhere. And who's to say they couldn't? Because they would have that confidence and they would say, look, we did it there. You would find judges being afraid to act because the judges capitulated in Tennessee, judges, federal judges in other states and state judges. It is so important, and, and I don't think there's any time for resting. Well, with that, I wanted to mention, um, you know, it's being talked about a lot now. I'm seeing a lot of pundits talk about it. You're seeing it in the news that there's there is a at least from the White House as well. There is a resurgence in the potential for mask mandates and lockdowns. And there's like, you know, the the second we're, we're approaching the second emergency pandemic. Right. right. And that and there's a lot of folks talking about that right now, of course. You know, we're not really talking about that here in Tennessee because we never really say anything publicly or make any declarations here in Tennessee. But it was interesting. I saw it today. I don't know if she made it today or if it was in the last couple of days, but a video came across my feed of uh, Sarah Sanders, uh, current governor of Arkansas, mm-hmm. and she's made a a she did a video public statement. She said, "Look, I know we're hearing about this. Just so you know, in Arkansas, we're not it locking down." We're not closing businesses. We're not wearing masks. We're not taking COVID nineteen shots. We ain't doing it. Now, I mean, see, she said like just right out of the gate. As we're we talked, not doing it. As we talked about last week, that's all it takes, right? Why isn't our governor doing that? He doesn't even ha- he doesn't have to take executive action. He doesn't have to call a special session for that. All he has to do is make a proclamation. This is who we are. And this is what we won't do. That would give people such assurance that they don't have to look over their shoulder every time they hear or see a little tweet. That's kudos to her. And um, hopefully some other states will follow suit. We know that that won't happen in Florida because it didn't happen but for a couple of weeks the first time. But gosh, why, why is that so hard, Gary, for some <laughs> politician to do? They, they work so hard to do other things that sound magnanimous and that sound like they're doing something important it's a bunch of word salad but yeah they say they do but they really don't but this is so simple right and so one of the things i wanted to to bring up again i I haven't talked about this in a while you know hearing her make that statement reminded me about how hard we fought in 2020 and 2021 on the emergency powers Mm -hmm. statute here in tennessee that it's TCA 58-2-107 that gives the governor the legal authority per the legislature to call an emergency and do all the things that he did, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and there there are several reasons that that is unconstitutional. Of course, like I stated earlier, we never got our day in court. But it was interesting to me. I went back and watched a video that I had done in 2020, and 
I I used I had some clips that I hadn't seen in a while, and I, we I I need to rehash this because I know we all we've all just pretended this never happened and we've forgotten about it. But in 2020, in the middle of of that emergency, um, or towards the beginning, I should say, the General Assembly in the state of Tennessee had a summer study, and they had three meetings while they were out of session studying the constitutionality of the governor's emergency powers. And in one of those hearings there, they had at the time, attorney general Herbert Slatery come in and testify, you know, as to why he thought what the governor was doing was constitutional. Mm -hmm. There was testimony by, um, our general counsel, Larry Crane. I remember that. And there was testimony by really great. Uh, I've, I've come to really like him. I've read some of his stuff. Um, UT law professor, Glenn Reynolds and Glenn Reynolds echoed something in testimony that I was shocked to hear him say because up until that time, I was the only one that that I knew about that was even talking about this part of our Constitution. And because of that, I had some doubt as to whether or not, maybe I'm not really sure what this means. But whenever Professor Reynolds testified, he echoed the same sentiments, exactly what I thought it meant. Which were? And it's... It's Article 11, Section 16. It says this. This is in our state constitution. The Declaration of Rights hereto prefixed, which, by the way, in our constitution is our Bill of Rights. It's mm-hmm. Article 1. So your, your right to worship, your freedom to assemble, your right to due process, your right to be secure in your persons and your papers, and all those all, – I mean, it's, right. there's, I think there's 36 sections of Article 1. All of those rights guaranteed to the people of Tennessee. All right. Mm-hmm. The Declaration of Rights hereto prefixed is declared to be a part of the Constitution of this state and shall never be violated on any pretense whatever. Mm. And to guard against transgression of the high powers we have delegated, we declare that everything in the Bill of Rights contained is accepted out of the general powers of government and shall forever remain inviolate. And what, so it, it didn't have like a coda that said, no. except in the event of emergency. That's right. And what Professor Reynolds testified, he read that and he said, you know, in my reading, what I take that to mean is we have a Bill of Rights here in the state of Tennessee that guarantees certain rights to Tennesseans. And no actions of the governor, of the legislature, and he said, even the courts mm-hmm. can remove the rights. He said, "We, which means we have some of the strongest protections of individual liberties here in the state. Yep. And, and when, you, when you think about that, I mean, we obliterated our Constitution during COVID. And then we had a summer study on the constitutionality of what we did. And for three years now, the legislature has failed to do anything regarding those emergency powers. So I want to restate that because our Constitution expressly forbids everything Mm -hmm. we did during COVID, yet we are now faced with that threat again. Other governors are already talking about it. Other legislatures, by the way, I believe Idaho did it almost immediately, have since amended their emergency powers and restricted their governors mm-hmm. from ever being able to do that again. So I want everyone to be aware our legislature has done nothing. nothing. 
And per the law right now in this state, Governor Bill Lee still has all the authority in the world, per the law, not per the Constitution, delegated by the General Assembly to do it all over again. And we've refused to act. So here again, if I were governor, I would be so delighted to make it clear that I do not have that power, right? The best thing the governor could do is to let the people know that he agrees that they hold the ultimate power politically, right? What does it say about a governor who has the opportunity to say that and withholds it, right? What does it say about what is his driving motivation? Is, is it power? Is it prestige? Or is it an oath to the Constitution? Yeah, versus what it should right. be, right? Yeah, I, that's actually very encouraging. I, I had forgotten that, obviously, since it's been three years. We ought to make reference to that regularly because it's 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 emboldening people ought to have that part of the constitution in their wallets as they walk around and say no these are you're a judge you're a legislator you are an executive governor or agency or otherwise these rights are superior to that right right. always going to trump that our constitution forbids Anyone, any branch of government, anyone endowed with the power of government, any court, any legislature, any governor, from abrogating those rights from the individual Mm. expressly, period. End of story. Yeah. That's – let me add one more thing to the the mask thing. I don't know if you've seen, and I think it's because of acts like Sanders. uh, Sarah Sanders. Sarah Sanders. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, right? That's right. Former former press secretary for Donald Trump, yes, I, in my daughter opinion, daughter of Mike Huckabee. That's right. right. In my opinion, the the best <laughs> press secretary we've ever seen in the United States. Yeah, she was effective, wasn't She's she? Incredible. <clears throat> um, there has been pushback, whether or not it's true. Just like with our legislature and all of the pushback that we gave them for two three months against the special session, the protocols and and attempts to have new mask mandates and whatnot. You now see the federal government, even the hospitals that implemented it, came immediately out with statements saying it's just for staff. Now, it's still bad, but it's not for visitors, when originally it was a blanket statement. Hollywood even, who had decided two weeks ago to start certain studios, I think Lionsgate might have been one and another major Hollywood studio, who had implemented mask mandates, now said, no, 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 we're, we're backtracking on that. Didn't really mean it, right? Now, we know they meant it. But the pushback, this is this is the encouragement we need to give our audience and everyone everywhere. If you push back and if you say no and you don't comply, they don't have a choice. Their words are meaningless. Yeah. That's the way we establish freedom and reestablish it. Yeah. Was it the was it the camera was eighties or nineties, you know, the drug campaign, you know, just say no. Just say no. That's 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 what we need it's right exactly now. Exactly what we need. <laughs> just say Nancy no. Nancy Reagan, where is where is she when you need her? <laughs> so I, I think it's a great reminder. Uh, for everyone as we come into this new uh, apparently the new COVID season with all these new uh, all these new strains apparently that just <laughs> you know variant after variant um, wanted to put that out there but. the election variant right didn't battle, Babylon B <laughs> That's do right. something about that that's exactly what it is it's funny alright Gary I think that wraps it up for this week another great week onward If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. 
You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. <laughs>